Good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow. I'm the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. What you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of God's Word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. Um, and so I have a question for you this morning before we begin, and uh, you'll find this question pretty much throughout the entirety of our message, and the question is a simple one, and frankly, probably the question is somewhat of a foolish one. Do you want to be healed? I mean, it, it really is a question that you would consider. I mean, really anyone who has asked that question would, would almost always answer in the affirmative, yes, I want to be healed. I know of many in our own congregation who have suffered very, very um, tragic things in their life. They've gone through cancers or they have a terminal um, disease. They have something that will never, ever fade away very likely in their life. And if you were to walk up to them and ask them, do you want to be healed? They They would answer in the affirmative every single time, yes, I want to be healed. I want to be healed. But my friends, this morning as we come to this passage in John chapter 5, there's a question asked to a man who would quickly answer in the affirmative, yet um, there is a deeper meaning behind this question. And I would argue that the question, do you want to be healed, is a question that goes out from this pulpit every single Sunday. Do you want to be healed? It is not just a reference to a physical healing, but it is a reference to something far deeper and greater. Should the Lord heal your physical infirmities and leave you dead in your sin, He has done very little for you. Some of us rejoice more in the physical healings that take place in our life than we do the spiritual ones. And so what I'd like to do this morning is come to a very unique situation that we find our Lord in, in John chapter 5. And I'd like to break it apart in two ways. First, I'd like to examine um, the physical aspect of Jesus healing this man. And secondly, I would like to develop that a little bit further in regard to the spiritual healing that he so desperately needs and it can be found in Christ. We'll visit this passage again next week to develop a a secondary thought that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and what that means. Um, Primarily, it means ultimately that he is truly God. And so this morning, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five, five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your mat, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, 
that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in the reading of your word. Lord, we rejoice that it is the only infallible truth that guides and and directs our every step in the Christian life. And so, Father, as we come this morning, we rest very comfortably in its authority. Lord, I I, I plead, I, I, I urge, Lord, by your grace, be faithful to your promise. And we rest very comfortable in that. Lord, we know the word never returns void, that it always accomplishes its purpose. And so, Father, would you... Do a great work in the saint this morning. Would you, by your grace, conform them to the image of Christ by the preaching of your word? And if there be any here this morning who would hear this call, do you want to be healed? Lord, may it be that they gladly respond in the affirmative, yes, Lord, heal me. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It is in the name of Christ and through his precious blood we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, just to kind of go ahead and give you a, a preface real quickly. Um, there will be no notes on the screen. I know everybody just looked at me in fear. Um, but here's the deal. Somebody in here is phenomenal at taking notes. I don't know who that is, but find them. And they will gladly give you their notes. Um, there are multiple reasons for that. One is um, I didn't do them because I was out of town all week. And the other reason is I just really miss coming up here with just my Bible. Um, just genuinely. And, uh, and so anyway, that's the primary reason. Now, I do still have a sermon in a sentence, so be blessed. The sermon in a sentence is, do you want to be healed? Isn't that so clever? Um, There's no, like I'm not working hard for these. It's just in the text. Do you want to be healed? And the reason this is the question, the reason this is a sermon in a sentence is because sometimes the best thing for us to do is consider the question, do you want to be healed? The issue is Jesus is able. This is not up for negotiation. This is not something that we look to him and say, yeah, I want to be healed, but I'm not actually sure if you were able. We just sang that song, God is able. He is able to do far more than even we can fathom or conceive. And so when the question is asked, do you want to be healed? Friends, the beauty is the answer to the question is always found in Christ. He can provide the solution. And so what I'd like to do this morning, first and foremost, is examine the setting that we have as we approach this text. So if you would, you will find that everything we do is you will look directly at the text and we'll go straight from there. So if you follow along, um, there is your um, notes. See, that's good stuff. All right. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, um, we've already made reference to a couple of feasts that have taken place, and we've even mentioned that when Jesus would make his way to Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem was always a going up. Jerusalem was set on essentially a mountain, and so should Jesus go to Jerusalem, he was always ascending, that during the time of ascending to Jerusalem, they would be singing the Psalms in particular. I think it's uh, Psalm 120 all the way to 136. They had these songs that they would sing, and they would celebrate the fact that God had redeemed them, that God had set them free from slavery in Egypt, and even more so than that in light of the sacrifice of Christ. And so Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem. We don't know which feast in particular, um, but... I'd like to set the scene for you here. Because consider this, you're on your way to a feast and a festival. What kind of experience are you waiting for? You're waiting for something blessed. I mean, you're waiting for something that's going to be a great encouragement to you. You're expecting to go up to the mountaintop, so to say, and experience all the beautiful truths of God and be encouraged and strengthened by them. Jesus makes makes his way through what we call the sheep gate. It's where the sacrifices would come through that would eventually be offered on the Day of Atonement and various other times. But notice the language in in verse 2. 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Consider for a minute walking into the sheep gate, expecting to go to a place to celebrate. You walk in and immediately to your north, you will find an incredible mass of people. In this particular circumstance, you would assume that the people that you're going to find would be people that are celebrating a feast or a festival because there's so many reasons to praise the Lord. They have all of these different moments of remembrance, but immediately as you'd walk in, you'd look to the north and you'd see three of the most absolute worst things that can happen to an individual. They are blind, they are lame, and they are paralyzed. Friends, today we don't necessarily have cures for these things. Even with our modern medicine, we don't. And can you just consider for a minute what it would be like in this day to experience any of these things, whether you be blind, whether you be lame, or whether you be paralyzed, or a mixture of the three. It is a horrid state to be in. And so what they would do is they would find themselves sitting at this pool of Bethesda, a place where healing would take place. And there would be a mass of them. Can you consider walking by that and how that would impact you? I don't think we've ever experienced or seen such a horrid sight. A sight of hopelessness. A sight of looking at one who perhaps was strong just two years ago and now he lays on his mat incapable of moving. Or one who perhaps even had been an artist and yet he grew blind and now he sits and waits that perhaps God would restore his sight. There's a couple of things that are important here. First and foremost, I think that we can consider the individuals that find themselves there. Each blind, lame, and paralyzed, and their only hope is that God would do something to save them. He has made a provision. The provision is called the Pool of Bethesda. And in this one particular place, God was able to, and God was exercising his ability to heal. He was saying, should you make it to this water, should the first one that makes it here, he will actually be healed. He had seen this time and time again. Each and every one of them had. Can you imagine how that pull would taunt you? Can you consider for just a minute, yet all the while you look at the individuals who would come out and you would say, what hope? Though I be blind, lame, or paralyzed, there is hope because God has provided some means of healing for me. And yet every single time the pull would be stirred, you would make your way there only to find that someone would make the first step in and you would not be healed. You would long for someone to even pick you up that you might be tossed in, that God might heal you. But all the while you're watching men come out and you're seeing God is able to heal. But can you consider how that would taunt you? How would that hit you each and every time you watch someone walk out of those waters? It would be mixed emotions, wouldn't it? Praise God, he's able. But I'm too weak. I can't make it because you can consider blind, lame, uh, paralyzed. These, These have degrees. There would be some that perhaps had a little bit of strength left and they were able to move a little bit more rapidly to the pool of Bethesda to be healed. But the subject that we find ourselves looking at today has been there very likely for multiple years. He even has been paralyzed for 38 years. I'm convinced that he had probably been sitting here from the time the pool started to be stirred. He found out that there was a hope and he went. And for years and years and years he had watched others be healed because they had a little bit extra strength about them. And so let's consider not only the individuals, but let's consider the vision that Jesus would have seen as he walked in the door. As Jesus walked through the sheep gate and he would see the the absolute suffering and anguish of those people, I think very clearly he would see an illustration of the Jewish culture at the time. They're sitting there, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting for the pools to be stirred. 
You see, not only was there an apostate Israel, the ones that had wandered away from the truths of God for the sake of legalism, but there would also be those who were lame, they were blind, and they were paralyzed, longing that one might come that would actually be able to heal, not just an individual, but, but all those whom the Father had given him. And so you can consider for just a moment, as Jesus would look here, you can consider that he would see not only the individuals, but he would see the nation as a whole, blind, lame, and paralyzed, in desperate need of a shepherd, because they have been absolutely without any faithful shepherd for years, decades, centuries. And so Jesus walks in the sheep gate, and he transfixes his eyes on one individual. Notice this in verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Can I just stop for a minute? Let's, let, let's sympathize for a moment. An invalid for 38 years. I'm 27. This man had been an invalid longer than I've been alive. Very likely, considering that the average lifespan during this day, this man was either born with this disease or he was struck with it at a very early age. Perhaps it, perhaps it yanked him out of the prime of his life. Perhaps as a young boy he was helping his father and something happened and immediately he was struck and paralyzed. His spine would snap and all the strength that he once had vanished in a moment for 38 years. We don't know exactly when the pool of Bethesda started to be stirred, but we do know that this has been happening for some time. You can imagine just this particular man sitting there for 38 years, and he is so weak that for 38 years, let's even give him 20 just for the sake of, uh, of clarity. For 20 years, he's watched others make it before him. There were those that had lesser infirmities. They could still function. They could still find their way to the temple and, and beg that people might give them alms. People might give them something. But this man was so frail and feeble that should he even begin to crawl his way to this pool, he would find himself every single time be beaten. Though there is a hope in the pool of Bethesda, it is completely and totally canceled out by his inability to reach it. There's no means for him to do this. Notice what it says here. Um, so he's, he's an invalid for 38 years, and then this, this incredible thing happens. And it's interesting because it doesn't even seem that news of Jesus had reached his ear because you see that he is the one, Jesus is the one who initiates this healing moment. So in verse 6 it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? I would like to point out a couple of things from this account that we see our Lord engage this with this man. First and foremost, I would point out that it is all of grace. Absolutely all of grace. Jesus was on his way to the temple to celebrate a feast and a festival. We don't know which one, but nonetheless, he could have easily turned his eye and made his way to the temple and done exactly that for which he came. He could have gone, he could have celebrated, he could have ignored the things that were taking place there. Yet God in his infinite providence, all of grace had set this moment in history that Jesus would come to this place in the midst of all of these invalids, in the midst of the blind, lame, and paralyzed, he would notice this one. Even consider for a moment that it says he knew that he had been here a long time. We've made reference before that Jesus very likely, not very likely, absolutely, made his way up to the temple year after year after year with his father Joseph. Very likely entering in through the sheep gate. How many years do you think Jesus might have passed this man? Yet his time had not yet come. It was not time for him to manifest his glory and every single year, he walks by this man, considering there will be a day. 
There will be a day where I will reach out and I will touch you and you will be healed. But that day is not today. I would like to make a point here just as a side note. Friends, when you consider that God has abandoned you in your suffering, be not fooled. For 38 years, this man had suffered. Not only was he seen by his Father in heaven, but very likely just his eyes had already fell on him at some previous point in his life. Friends, if you be in Christ, you may experience great, great suffering here below. But rest very comfortably. The eyes of your Savior are on you. He does not forget your weakness. He knows them full well. And it is by his grace that he would reach out and touch this one. But I think the greater grace is simply that he recognized him. That he looked on him. There was a multitude. There was a mass. Why is it that this one, why is it just this one individual do we have this account of? Very likely Jesus passed many that he simply could have allowed his shadow to fall on. And immediately he would, they would have all been healed. But it was God's plan to uniquely touch this one, to demonstrate his authority, to look at the one who was absolutely incapable so that God in his infinite grace may demonstrate that he alone has the power to heal, that he alone has the power to save. And this man, would you consider for just a moment, every single time, those waters were stirred, he would say to himself, I'm not able to reach it. And he watches another climbed out and he'd say, God is able. And his waters would be stirred again and he would say, I'm not able. And he'd watch as one come out and he would say, God is able. Where you would have this refrain of, I am too weak, God is able. I am too weak, God is able. I am too weak, God is able. And it is in this moment where the man has been beaten down. His illness has crushed him under the weight of frailty, experiencing his mortality, that Jesus walks up at the perfect time to do a great work, not only to heal this man's infirmities, but to demonstrate his authority as God that is able to save, to heal. And not only that, but is able to look at the Sabbath and say, the Sabbath is that in which God works. It is my Sabbath to do with what I choose which we'll deal with a little bit more next week. But it is in this moment where we see Jesus look at this man and he asks him this question, do you want to be healed? Now, the first time I, I see this question, I'm almost immediately met with a little bit of friction in my own life. I remember a moment um, where one uh, asked if they could pray for healing for me and they would walk up and they'd place their hands on me and they'd ask, do you want to be healed? Her mm. No, I'm going to say it. Heretical garbage absolute. I was told that I did not have enough faith to be healed. I would like you to notice here in the answer that this man gives is he does not look at Jesus and say, I have great faith. Instead, what he does is begin to give all the excuses for which he cannot be healed. He looks to the well and he says, it is there and there alone that I have hope and I have no one. Nothing is able to bring me to that place and, and I'm not able to do anything for myself. And friends, the beauty of this is this is not a moment where we see Jesus say, but go because your faith has made you well. Instead, it is God's sovereign hand that reaches out and touches this man despite the fact that he is unable. And it is the state that each and every one of us find ourselves in. This goes much deeper than just a physical healing. This makes abundantly clear the spiritual state of every one of us. The reason Jesus found the one that was most broken, most beaten, most unable is because in him and in him alone, God would demonstrate his glory most clearly. And so as you look at this, consider the response of this man. Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked. The answer is, of course, yes, I want to be healed. Almost rhetorically, you see him say yes, but he has been so 
crushed by the his own inability, that he is not even convinced that it can happen unless someone come and help him, that someone might toss him into the water. That would be the greatest grace, he thought. He can't even fathom that there would be one who would look at him and say, get up. And so as you consider this, Jesus um, asked the question, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole or healed? The sick man answers him. I love this man's answer. I love this man's answer. It is the answer that each and every one of us should give as Jesus looks at us and calls us out. We should look at him every single time and say, I am not able. It has been demonstrated to me for 20-ish years. I know that I am not able to be made well. There is nothing that I can do or contribute. I cannot crawl there. I can do nothing. I must cast myself on another. I love it. Listen to what he says. Two things that he makes a point to. First, he says, Um, In verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one. First, he makes the point that he is so crippled that he has been there so long that all of his familial ties ties have fallen away. There's no one that he can cast himself on. There's no Pharisee that would come and help him and, and, and teach him certain things that he might be made right. Instead, what you find here is saying, I have no one. My infirmities, my frailties have separated me from absolutely everyone. And friends, we would be wise to understand that it does not matter if we attempt to cast ourselves on anyone if they are not able. The issue is perhaps someone could have made it there to carry this man, but still there is this everlasting competition of someone's going to get there first. And this pool of Bethesda, I think, preached very loudly. I mean, I think that it was probably the grandest proclamation in Jerusalem that God is still with his people, but there is still something better coming. And as this man looks at him, he says, I have essentially lost all hope because no one, there's no one that is able to put me into the pool. And when he says, put me into the pool, can you imagine the absolute humility it would take to cast yourself on someone else because of your inability? I'm unable. My only hope is to cast myself on someone and I have no one. No one will carry me. No one's able. I can't even lend any help for my strength is dried up. And here we see him look at Jesus and essentially say that which is hindering him ultimately becomes the only means that he would actually be saved. And the beauty is Jesus is the only one that he could cast himself on to be healed, but, but he doesn't even do it. Jesus picks him up. You don't see him look at Jesus and say, hey, would you throw me in the pool? Would you pick me up? Would you cast me in? That, could have been, that should have been an easy request, shouldn't it? Should the waters be stirred, he could have simply looked at Jesus and say, Lord, would you, would you throw me in? Because I know that's my only hope. But instead you see Jesus exercise his authority to look at a man who is crippled, who is broken, who is bruised, and he simply gives a demand. I love the way Jesus speaks to those who are broken. Notice this language. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. I want to focus primarily on the get up. What a foolish thing to say. This man can't even crawl to the pool. And the Lord gives an imperative. An imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey man, you should attempt to get up. Instead, he gives a command. And that command, friends, what Jesus says is ultimately reality. Should he demand that you stand, it is by his grace that he will enable you to stand. And the interesting thing here is you can imagine this man's legs were so crippled, so feeble, so atrophied that there would be nothing but bones. There would be no way, no muscle, no nothing to strengthen him for the task. And immediately God tells him, the the, the God-man tells him, stand up. Declarative, imperative. He says, do it. 
And I'm telling you this morning, that is the grand command that Jesus gives to each and every feeble and fallen man. Stand up. And when he demands it, it happens. It is by his grace and grace alone that any of us find ourselves standing physically today. Even more so is it the case that any of us are here alive spiritually today. Do not forget where you have fallen from and do not think yourself stronger than this man. Yes, physically it is made abundantly clear that he is weak, that he is feeble, and that he is frail. And it is by God's grace that that happened. It's by God's grace that during those 38 years, he realized that he had nothing in himself to offer. He was crushed. He was bruised. He was broken. His infirmities highlighted his inability. But friends, it is in that inability that Christ is most glorified. And so I would encourage you just for a moment that should you have a physical ailment, would you cast yourself on Christ? Can you consider for just even a moment how much sin this man didn't participate in because he was ill? So much. Sometimes the Lord strikes you in His kindness. Do not be... It is only a humanistic society that looks at frailty in man and says, this is always bad. I say that it is by God's kindness that this man found himself here. It is by God's kindness that he was broken whatever day that was in his life. It's by God's kindness that he watched that pool of Bethesda preach loudly. I am weak. God is strong. I am weak. God is strong. Because there would be a day where that true and better fount would arrive. We sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It is Christ that is that great fount. Pool of Bethesda was a weak, frail thing that was meant to simply show that there was one who was coming, who was able to heal, not limited But in a completely unlimited fashion, every single soul that the Father had given to the Son would stand healed, proclaiming, I am weak, God is strong. So what we have is a pool that is proclaiming, and we have a Christ that is demanding, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And I want you to notice the language here. It is not something that we should gloss over. We assume almost in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. The imperative is given. But in verse 9, we have the great clarification. And at once, the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. I would also like to point out to you that it is not as though he was healed in increments. It was not as though God simply strengthened his legs over time, perhaps a divine physical therapy. That's not the case at all. Instead, God immediately gave him his strength. Not a weak strength, not a feeble strength, not a growing strength, but a complete strength. He asked him, he requested him, take up your bed and walk. Now the bed would not be heavy, but you can imagine a man who was not able to carry himself to a pool. It would be very difficult for him to bend over, to roll up a mat, carry it, and walk away. It is in this moment where God's divine power is clearly seen. It is not a power that does very little for the saint. Instead, it gives them absolutely everything that is necessary. It is not a little bit of might, a little bit of strength that you might carry yourself the rest of the way, that you might strengthen yourself the rest of the way. Instead, the provision that Christ gives when he demands that you get up is every ounce of strength you need for the life that he has called you to live. Friends, we make this, this saying from time to time a foolish thing um, that we are, um, that, that I, things like, um, I, I, I felt the Spirit, I caught the Spirit, I did all these things. You're sealed up. 
The Spirit of God indwells the saint. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. When he says live, he provides for you spiritual life. By his grace throughout your spiritual life, he uses the strength that he has provided for you to sanctify you and conform you to the image of Christ. And this is where we find ourselves asking the question, do you want to be healed? We see that Jesus is able to heal the physical infirmities of this man. We see that he is weak. We see that God strengthens him completely and totally makes him able to carry out the task necessary for life at this point. He's able to take up his mat. He's able to walk. Clearly, God is powerful. But the question is, the, the, the conversation doesn't stop there. I'd ask you to jump down to verse 14. We'll deal with the verses previously next week. But in verse 14, it says this, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Very interesting, first and foremost, that he finds himself in the temple. Not Jesus. Jesus was already on his way there, but this man finds himself. He goes to the temple. Where else would he go? Where else would he go? Should we experience the divine power of saving grace? Should we experience God to heal our physical infirmities? Where else could we go? I love what... um, I believe it's Matthew Henry that says, we must go quickly while mercy is fresh on our brain. Because so often mercy fades away. We forget about it. We forget about the might of God. We're slow to remember. That's why there's so many feasts and festivals throughout the Jewish tradition is because the Jewish people are quick to forget. We are all quick to forget. This week I was reminded of how quickly I should remember my own frailty. I should go back and consider that by God's grace, He breathed life into me. And from that moment, He has been sustaining me. We should all be so quick to consider those things, to remember them, to meditate on them on a regular basis. And so He quickly goes because He has mercy on His mind. And Jesus finds Him in the temple and says to Him, See, you are well. Look at yourself. I love this. Look at yourself. The reason that we preach so fervently here, the depravity of the human heart, is so that you might clearly see the contrast. Uh, A gospel that does not look at man and say you are weak, you are frail, you are dead in your sin and trespasses is a weak gospel. God did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. And we must understand that we are actually dead. This man does not need any convincing of the power of God. Yet what Jesus does is look at him and say, you are well, examine yourself. There's something different. You've changed. There's might, there's strength in your legs. Look at yourself. And friend, saint, especially, I would encourage you that you do this frequently. See, you are well. Understand that the heart above all things is desperately wicked. Who can know it is Jeremiah 17. But I would encourage you to also consider Ezekiel where it says, I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Examine yourself. Always remember where you came from. Never forget that at one point you were an invalid laying on a mat incapable of carrying yourself to that which might be able to heal you. And it is God who looked upon you in his infinite grace and said, get up. We cannot be slow to consider and remember these things or we will find ourselves not savoring the grace of God any longer. Other things will taste better to us should we not know who we were and now who we are because of Christ's word. See, you are well. And then I'd like you to notice this next phrase, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Um, it's important to note here, and this is a very interesting thing because later on we'll see that a blind man is blind from birth and the, and the disciples look at him and says, who sinned, this man or his parent? Jesus says, neither. This man was born blind so that God's glory may be displayed in his life. 
I love that in both of these stories we see two separate cases, yet they find their same, the, the, the infirmity comes from the same source. It is not necessarily the sin of uh, the blind man or the blind man's parent that brought about these things, but it is most certainly original sin. Do not forget who your original father is. Adam is your father. And if you are in him, you will bear the infirmities and the consequence of his sin. It is given to you. It is imputed to you. Sin no more, he says, that nothing worse may happen to you. Would you consider for just a minute, can you help me here? What's worse than being an invalid for 38 years? I mean, I can imagine almost that on the ears of this man, he would think, how, worse? What could possibly be worse than this? What could possibly be worse than having bed sores all over my body because I can't move? What could be worse than seeing a hope that I can never attain? What can be worse than, than having no one, than being in complete frailty and weakness? What could be worse than that? Friends, there's always something worse. Never, ever forget that it is by God's grace, both common and redemptive. Should you not be in Christ, do not misunderstand. It is by His grace alone that you are present today. It's by His grace alone that you breathe your next breath. Because the wages of sin is death. It is not something that is to be put off. Instead, God would be just to strike you dead here and now. Frankly, God would be just even in striking dead the saint here and now. What is worse is a punishment of eternal separation. Friends, you should always remember, hell is always worse than any suffering that is here. Always. I consider individuals who would remove themselves from their life because it is too difficult. And it is the most tragic of fates because they remove themselves from this life only to find an eternal torment more likely than not separated from the Father. I say harsh things, don't misunderstand. I don't say that for the intention of, uh, of being harsh or mean. Instead, we must live and understand that that is actual reality. That is what the truth of God's word reveals. And we should be quick to remember that not only for ourselves, but for those who we preach the gospel to. There's always something worse. And that's why we give that grand call. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? So afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. I would ask you this morning, saint, you've been made well. You have been. If you're in Christ, by God's grace, you have the spirit of regeneration working in your heart and your life. Yes, to bring about conversion originally, but even presently today, you are made well. I would encourage you, sin no more. There is something so wicked about the saint's sin. I would argue even more wicked than that of the unregenerate. For those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we've tasted that he is far better than anything this world has to offer, and yet we still would look at him after he has bought us with his blood and say, I want this instead. Sin no more is the proclamation. Friends, the evidence, the evidence of this man's healing would be demonstrated every time he took a step. Every single time he took a step, every time he made his way into the temple, every single time that he um, took a bite of food delivered from his own hand, evidence of God's power would be displayed. 
it should be just as evident in the saint. The one who has experienced spiritual birth, regeneration, that God would look at you, tell you to get up and live. And friends, every single thing we do should identify first and foremost, we are weak, God is strong. We are weak, God is strong, should be the resounding uh, call from our life. For those of you in here who do not know the Lord Jesus, do not misunderstand your condition. And I would plead with you, don't look at the pool of Bethesda and expect it to heal you because you're not able to get there. Don't look at any other source. Don't look at self-righteousness. Don't look at the law. Don't look at legalism. Don't look at licentiousness. Don't look at whatever it is that you consider might be able to give you some meaning here below. You will find it empty and void. Not only that, that when you stand before God on the day of great judgment, when you would look at him and say, Lord, I, I have this to offer, he will say, with, say to you very quickly and harshly, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. He will say that both to the self-righteous and the one who would deny him altogether. But friends, I would encourage you and plead with you by simply asking you the question again, do you want to be healed? For the sinner, there, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Friends, there is actual hope. It is only in Christ. The call, do you want to be healed, finds its only yes and amen in Christ. And should you be here this morning a saint, that call still goes out. Because there is sin that still runs through your body. And it will until the day you die. But by God's grace, you will be healed. There will be no snare that sin will have on you that God is not able to break through the finished work of Christ. But as you are here below, you should plead each and every day, God, heal me, heal me, take away this body of death. Set me free from this wickedness, from this depravity. Let me live unto you in everything that I do. And so I plead with you this morning by asking you the question, do you want to be healed? And I'd give you the source. Look to Christ.